Good afternoon. This is part 12 in the teaching series in uh, Ephesians, the letter Paul has wrote, wrote through the Ephesian church. And we have been in chapter 2, verse 11 through 22 for the last few weeks. And last week, uh, we, we uh, I want to review a little bit of last week's because it ties right into this week's because really it, it's, it was really more than one session, one episode we could do all of the last six verses of that from verse 16 or 17 through 22. So it's broken up into two. So I want to review from last week to tie into this week. And where uh, the focus last week is we talked about the one new man that Christ died, not only to forgive us our sins, but to bring about this one new man uh, in the place of the two, meaning the difference, the, the two different uh, groups, the Jews and the Gentile believers who were who were, who were hostility between each other. But Christ... He gave himself, he died on the cross to bring peace to us and to reconcile us both together to make one body. So there's this one new man, there's one body. We are, and we're together to have access by one spirit to the Father. And that together we're, we're equal partners in, in God's household, we're equal members in God's household, Jews and Gentiles alike. And uh, then we talked about the uh, that this is all built up on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. Use the analogy Paul used there. The cornerstone was where a building was brought together, built together. It was a, it was a spot where two walls were joined and made it, and it joined those two together. Where the two walls or this, the wall of hostility was there between the Gentiles. Now it was a wall of unity put brought together by Christ. And that now that whole structure wasn't a physical structure. The emphasis is Paul's changing from it being a physical structure of stone and woods. Uh, that's really built by man to something that's built by God, meaning the, the people of God uh, uh, put together and, and joined together and, and unified in Christ, and it becomes the temple of God where he comes to dwell. And it's built together uh, that, that we, the people, would become God's dwelling place. And then Paul also, I, I quoted a scripture from Habakkuk, which talked about the, I'm going to read it, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. He says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It will seem slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. When Paul is writing here in Ephesians. He's, this is mystery in, in times past was hidden by God, but in Christ has been revealed that God purposed all along that in Christ, the two separation of people, the Jews and Gentiles, will be brought together to be one body, to be one people together members together of God's household, be his temple, that he comes to dwell in his people uh, as, as one people. And that's the vision, that God's purpose. It's not just to die for us to be forgiven and get into heaven someday. Is that we would be an expression of God as a people together as one body, with Christ being the head. So here's this vision. Paul sees it. He's trying to get them to understand it, us to understand it. So we see the vision and the purpose, and we give our life to it, just as Paul. He was invested in this, all fully into him. He was fully into this pressing on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in God in Christ Jesus. It's not just about himself becoming more like Christ, that the body of Christ would become whole and would be truly Christ's body expressing the heart of the Father to the world around us. And, that, and so he's he was in pursuit of that and, and really unfolding that to them and to us now that we would see this vision. It's going to happen in the end, and it's fullness of when Christ returns. But between now and then, we're called to pursue it and live it out as best we can and, and pursue Christ's purpose for us as a people together. And, um, and I, I just want to, as we start into this uh, lesson, is, is uh, quote a couple of scriptures 
where Paul writes elsewhere um, some things that we can tie this into the to the, the the mystery that he sees being revealed in Christ of the, of the body of Christ, one new man, and us as a temple. And it, it doesn't matter the gender, the age, economic status, race, ethnicity, all those things don't matter. We need to see each other's equals in Christ, <clears throat> equal authority, equal responsibility, equal privilege. We're called to live out the gospel together so that others may know who Christ is. Let's read Galatians 4.19 as we start into this week. And um, it says, My little children, for whom I am writing, who for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So he said that word you there is not singular but plural. It's it's not them as individuals each that they each before have Christ formed them. That's okay. That's that should be happening. But his emphasis is also on the reality that together they are formed into Christ. And he is he said, I'm in anguish, I'm in prayer, I'm, I'm in concerns that Christ is formed in you as one new man together. In Colossians 1, 28 through 29, Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with, with all wisdom that they may present, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, in the, now understanding Paul's per, um, understanding of the body of Christ, He's not just talking about individuals maturing in Christ. That's important. But maturing in Christ means maturing in Christ together as part of his temple, part of his body, that one new man. And he's warning, proclaiming, warning, and teaching everyone. He's looking to present everyone mature in Christ and struggling all this energy. That, that's a call for us to do the same. Romans 8, 29, another part Paul writes, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. <clears throat> and so here he's talking about us as an individual being conformed to the image of Christ. So, so what is Paul's passion and focus in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom? Is it just salvation or forgiveness of your sins and go about your life? No, he's concerned as each follower of Jesus and each community of faith would be conformed into the image of Christ living fully mature in Christ in unity with each other and with the Godhead. See, the church, the people of God, not, not the institution, the church, the people that are, are, are followers of Christ. And God's design and purpose for the church is what drove Paul to passionately pursue seeing it become all that God intended for it, that being the one new man. Possibly every major problem in individual lives and in the church may be the result of being distracted from our primary purpose and that being conformed to the image of Christ and in the ministry purpose that, that being that we're helping others to conform to his image instead of being given to secondary purposes. And that's why we find lots of times in churches where we've got all these other things we're trying to do and want to do, activities and events, and we've, we've forsaken uh, being conformed to the image of Christ and helping each other conform to the image and that together we become the people of God, experiencing the abundant life in Christ and expressing to the world outside of us the, the reality of who Christ is and his love for them. So let me read again uh, verse 21 from chapter 2 of Ephesians, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
So who is this whom that Paul is talking about here in verse 22? Let me read, or actually 21. um, Let me start back on verse uh, 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple and ward. The whom there is Christ. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the one who holds all things together by the power of his word. He is the whom. And the structure is believers, the church, the, the ecclesia, which is Greek there for that we translate the word church, or another word term might be the gathering, the gathering God's people. So we have the foundation and the cornerstone being Christ. But what does Paul uh, use as a, uh, uh, names or phrases to, to describe the, the whole structure uh, that's been built in Christ and on Christ, the foundation. Uh, verse 15, it says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. See, by that he calls it the one new man. And then verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body. We're, we're called to be one body. And then verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. It's a fellow citizen and saints and members of the household of God. That's it, the household of God. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple. The holy temple. And in verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. So we're supposed to be one new man, one body, the household of God, the holy temple the dwelling place of God by His Spirit. That's the church. That's the people of God. That's the gathering of God's people, the ecclesia. It's not the institution. It's not this impersonal group of uh, institution that's in this building. It's the people. We're the temple of God. And from Ephesians 2.21, he uses the word holy there. He says, uh, grow into a holy temple. What does it make you think of, man? When you, how does it apply to us? What does that mean? It means the word means consecrated. It means separated from common conditions and common use and dedicated something special. See, so every aspect of this structure, the church, not the stone and wood, not the institution, not some physical building. Every every aspect of the structure, the people is holy. The church as a whole, each individual. The design of it, the purpose of it, the work and the process of bringing it together, that's all holy. It's, it's consecrated, it's set apart for a holy purpose, a divine purpose. The question is, do we recognize this? And how do we feel about being holy? How do we feel about being set apart, to be part, part of his temple? This is important, something we, we understand who we are and what we are a part of. We didn't just come to Christ and accept him as our Savior, say a prayer and go about our life. He wants Paul, as he's saying here, and, and using God is using Paul to give us a vision and a purpose for our life is beyond just being forgiven, that we're part of something that's holy, a part of something that God has purposed to use to share his life with other people in the world. And from Ephesians 2.21, what does being joined or fit together mean? And how does it apply to us uh, today? It means we're, jo- we're closely 
join together, properly join, like a carpenter using, think of this as like when they fit different parts of the wall and, and wood, wood up, two different pieces of wood together, there are these mortise and tendons that, that are cut accurately and carefully so they work together and they can unite these two pieces, even different kinds of material to, to bring, be brought together to produce a structure. See, Christ is our peace and he abolishes the hostility. And he brought Jews and Gentiles, people from various tongues and tribes and nations together. And he fits us together. Each of us is fitted in as he desires to bring his purpose and bring his pleasure about. We all have a place in that household. We're part of that household. And we all have a place in the building of it, of bringing it together and being an active, intentional member and piece of this structure. And when I mean say the word structure, I don't mean the physical building, and I don't mean an institutionalism and traditions. I'm, I'm talking about this organic um, spiritual connection we have together um, that we're, we're called to be a part of. And he talks about we, uh, we grow, <laughs> excuse me, in verse 21, we grow into it. We grow into this temple. What does that mean to grow into this temple? It's, it, it means it's a living organism. It's not, it's not dead, lifeless structure like stone and wood. It's built on a living foundation and dwelt by the living God. Jesus is a living God. He's alive. And so, and so are we. And it's not a, it's not a finished building yet, but it's continually increasing, growing in size and in character all the time. With new disciples and in maturity, as a, as a living body is. I mean, First Peter chapter two verse five. Peter talks about you yourself are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, like, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are not meant to be a pile of living stones, but living stones that are fit together, cemented together, shaped and. And, and honed to be put together to be God's dwelling place that represent him well. Now, the, the question is, how does this really happen? I mean, in real life, why is Paul telling these two groups, Jews and Gentiles who were had this animosity towards each other, why is Paul telling them that? Because he's telling them this, is you're going to have to change your perspective. What you were before cannot be uh, what you are t- today. You have to change. Things have to shape, be shaped and be able to be brought together. See, this temple of the Lord is not an automatic thing. We must be intentional about growing into it. And he's, Paul's telling them w- the way you're living and who you are and what you thought about God and what God purposed for you as Jews and Gentiles is no longer uh, pro- appropriate. It's got to be different. It's got to be now shaped by what he has purposed in Christ. And we're called this an intentional thing on our part to grow into that and mature into this body of Christ, this holy temple. The measure of our maturity and in growing to, into this temple can be seen by our intermeshing with other believers, really understanding and appreciating our uniquenesses. And there's this reality, we're not all going to be the same, and that's important. We're not meant to be. We're supposed to be all that we are with all of Christ inside of us, expressing uh, the, the heart of the Father in Christ through our personality and our life of who we are as individuals. And then we come together and this uniqueness, this blending together of different people then becomes another a unique expression of Christ and his love for the world. And as we personally grow into the image of Christ, we should become more and more otherly. 
I use that term motherly as a term I heard in the vineyard movement. And it's really, it goes along with the one another scripture. It says, love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, another serve one another, uh, and be devoted to one another. These, all these things, are, it's about being otherly. The first one being love one another as I have loved you. And all the others are expression of what that love looks like in very practical ways. And that's the intentional way of starting to take shape and growing into and developing into becoming that temple that Christ dwells. We become more and more Christ-centered. We become more and more Christ-focused with Him being the cornerstone and that we're trying to align ourselves with Him in His ways. You know, there's this term called uh, uh, self-realization. We're trying to realize who we are. Well, there's a huge difference between that and Christ's realization. We are more and more given over to Christ's realization, seeing Christ's life being realized, his vision, his purpose for the church, it becoming realized in and through us, and him receiving the labor of his soul uh, and, and being satisfied. If you look at Isaiah 53, 11, uh, that's a part where it talks about the uh, him giving his life for our sins and yeah, there's a one scripture verse that sometimes is not really looked at. Is, is verse eleven? Is, is, is it says the the one who would uh, would give his life for us, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. See, Christ said in verse twelve of Hebrews chapter two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus see in the future that gave him joy and satisfaction for his labor to endure the cross? He saw a mature, one new man in a temple built out of humanity for God to dwell in. He, he was seeing beyond just the forgiveness of sins. He's seeing the fullness of all things be united uh, together in him, under, under him, under his lordship, in that, that one new man becoming a reality. And so he gave himself, he, he saw that. And that, we're, we're, we're called to be intentional, not trying to realize ourselves and who we are, though we're, we're, it doesn't mean we, uh, we're absent of who we are. God made us a unique person, unique personality, gifts, talents, physical frame, who we are, where we live, all those things. But in that, also, Christ filling us by his spirit in the two together, becoming realizing what Christ purposed for us individually and then what he purposed for us together as the body of Christ, the one new man, the body of Christ, the holy temple, the, 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 the household of God. So, what, so the question is, if that was Christ's joy, what should be our joy and what should we be laboring for? Individually and corporately, we should be, we should be giving ourselves and our labor to what his labor was for and what it was going to be his joy. See, the cross is the power that bring, can bring an end to our own striving and our own ends and finally embracing Christ's vision and his purpose. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the, the, the purpose being that like we're being built together for a purpose and that we would be God's dwelling place. Let's look, let's look at another aspect of this mystery we can see in chapter uh, 1 of Colossians, verse 26 through 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentile are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Look, the hope of glory. Wow. Before Jesus, what distinguished the Jewish temple that was in Jerusalem from all the other temples in the world? It was the only one in the world that could be said of it that it was God's habitation. Where God dwelt, God's manifest presence was, was there. Even so, the church, not the institution, my big peak, I keep saying that, not the institution, but the people of God, is now the dwelling place of God. It's not a stone building, it's not your church building that you go to on Sunday morning or midweek. It's, it's you, the people of God. And wherever the people of God are, God is with them. God's manifest presence distinguishes them from every other people. That can be a people gathering 100 people at a church building on a Sunday morning. It could be a group of friends, believers in Christ, gathering together in the middle of the week to share a meal and to share life in Christ together and celebrate Him and what God is doing in their life. It can be a variety. It can be any of those things. It can be a, a prayer meeting by the river. It can be a, 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 a prayer meeting of co-workers at church, uh, at work rather. It can be a variety of things. those things. It's, 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 the church is not just about having a Sunday meeting. No, it's a life and a lifestyle. The early church could be looked at as a unique culture, a unique community within the world of, his, of their time. They were a group of people who were a host for the God of creation. The church is supposed to be a taste of heaven on earth and be something by which the world knows that the Father has sent Jesus. John 17, 23 says, "In I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Those are part of Jesus' words, part of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. As he's coming, as he's, he's coming close to, to giving his life on the cross, he's praying for us, the church. So Paul is passionate about this idea of what Christ, what is purpose in Christ with the body of Christ and the one new man and us being in the temple of God. And so why is he sharing this with them and with us? It's so we hopefully will see God's purpose and God's joy, and that we would be taking up and seeing it become a reality in our day. We know it's coming, as Habakkuk talks about the vision, write it down so people can run for it and pursue it, and that's what we're called to do, and Paul's letting them know. He's writing it down for us, so we, as believers in Christ, can pursue that. Here's a question for you to consider as, as I'm talking about this. Have you and I have we, the church, the people of God, allowed the message of the gospel to be something less than God purposed for us, the church? And have we also not called others to all that God purposed here, being the body of Christ, the one new man? See, Paul's making this, uh, this, uh, uh, con- this intentional effort to make clear this reality, what God purposed in Christ beyond just forgiveness of sins. And are we giving ourselves to it as he did, as Jesus did? 
And, and are we calling others and helping them see this mystery that's been revealed of what the purpose in God and Christ is as this one body, this one new man, the temple of God being God's dwelling place? The question is, how does this become a reality? How does this, this work out in our life? Well, Jesus, first of all, is our peace. He's the glue that holds us together. It's not about looking at each other and try to trying to become better with each other and trying to tell each other what we should or shouldn't be doing. The focus is we each individually need to submit to Christ and his lordship and his kingdom, understanding that we are called to give our life to his greater purpose of not just living a better life, not becoming a better version of ourselves, but how do we fit into God's greater purposes of this one new man, the body of Christ, the temple of God, his dwelling place, that others may know him and see him and understand that he has sent Jesus? That's the question. So we need to, we have to focus on him. We can't focus on each other. We can see our flaws in other people. It's easy to do, but what do we see ourselves and how are we submissive in our personal life to the Lordship of Christ and his kingdom rule? See, let this purpose that Paul's talking about, let it, let it become who we are. Let it become about, uh, about who we are. And we start to live and talk about it like Paul did. You know, this is something that's not very often that I can say my own, myself as I talk about other people about the body of Christ. It's, this is not a topic we all talk about. This is something that Paul was passionate about. And he was calling the church to be passionate about it. And you're going to see he calls the church to some practical application in their own life for this to become a reality. And so, so when, one of the things to do is also when someone comes to the Lord, they're not just added to the church institution. We have to help understand, help them understand. This is part of the gospel message that they are made to be part of the building, not the physical building, but the building of the people together, the temple of God, God's dwelling place. And they're called not only to be a, a part of it, but to help build it up, help them catch God's heart. And see, that's what part of Paul's prayer. He prays two prayers, prayer chapter, in chapter 1, verse 16 through 23, which I'm going to close with here, and also chapter 3, where he talks about being grounded and rooted in love. But so I just want to close this, this time with this, and I really want to challenge you to start to think about how do we live out this reality of the one new man, this, this mystery that's been revealed to Paul's letting the church, the Jews and the Gentiles know so that they can become and live out what God purposed for them in Christ, not just wait for it to someday come in, in the future. Just like some people, I've accepted Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm going to get to heaven someday. No, we're called, Christ came to put heaven in us, His Holy Spirit and, and His kingdom rule becomes a part of who we are. Our life changes and we become part of His grander story. And we start to understand that bigger story and we start to live our small story in alignment with his greater story that goes beyond before our time and our, our life and after our life. But this prayer is important for us to pray for ourselves and for the rest of the church. It's from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 23. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. First of all, it's giving thanks for all of the body of Christ. All the body of Christ, those we uh, uh, may believe the same way with, and those we don't, those we don't understand, but we, we but they're all in Christ. Give thanks and, and remember them in prayer. 
in verse 17, I, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly, heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Well, until next week, I pray this last week's lesson and this week's lesson would stir your heart to this bigger purpose that's in Christ as individuals that we're a part of something bigger. And I don't mean just your local institution. I mean talking about the body of Christ globally in your local area and within your, your own community and, and living in such a way that you become built together that you become God's dwelling place by His Spirit. I pray you have a blessed week.